Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Tuesday, December 13th, 2022, which I know is kind of late for, for Mr. Taylor and myself, but a couple of reasons we're recording this episode so late. First of all, the teaser trailer and poster for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse dropped at 9 a.m. Pacific time today, and Drew and I thought you might enjoy hearing our thoughts on this Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin Thompson film. So what did you think of the, the teaser, Drew? I mean, it was beautiful. I thought it was a little weirdly structured, I will say. Yeah. Did you get the same vibes as well? I'm really hoping all of the mom talk up front. I mean, it, just, it, it seemed like... Okay, you know, did you guys spend time in the same editing bay as Black Panther, Wakanda Forever? Because it's a lot of mom talk. But then suddenly you got those scenes at the end that <laughs> it's been so funny this afternoon to have everybody, you know, there's the PS1 Spider-Man and there's that version of Spider-Man. So it's like everybody's sort of tearing the footage apart, trying to see who shows up from the multiverse. But once it gets to the action stuff, I, I think it delivers. Yeah, I've seen the sequence with the pregnant Jessica Drew as Spider-Woman mm -hmm. and the vulture in the Guggenheim, and it is amazing. All right. Well, this one is still May of next year, I want to say? Yes. Okay. So we're a ways off, and, and remember... This is across the Spider-Verse, and then a year later, we get beyond the Spider-Verse, right? Yes. Very, very much looking forward to that. Also, as part of today's show, Drew spent some time in London chatting with the folks who made Avatar The Way of Water, and thought you folks might like to hear about that trip, as well as a little about James Cameron's latest, which arrives in theaters this Friday, December 16th, but we'll wait to have that talk to a little later in the show. Lots of animation news to cover this week, folks, but as always... News portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. First up, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which debuted on Netflix this past Friday, December 9th. Already has won the Chicago Film Critic Association Award. Likewise, the Los Angeles Critics Society Award for Best Animated Feature was number one on Netflix for on Sunday and Monday of this week. Tonight, that spot is occupied by Lady Chatterley's Lover. So what Ooh, are you going to do? People are feeling horny tonight, I guess. But yes. there we are. Yeah. There we are. But I've been so enjoying this, particularly with Guillermo out there championing that people need to take animation seriously. And I'm assuming you saw the Golden Globes, which is coming back on NBC, just announced its nominees for Best Picture Animated and Guillermo's uh, Pinocchio's at the top of the list. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Turning Red, uh, Uno, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. So what's your take on how Pinocchio's been doing so far? Well, did you watch it yet, Jim, or you were out of town you didn't get to see it yet? I have seen some of it. Okay. In fact, friends were sharing the Benito Mussolini footage, which I thought was, wow, that's an interesting choice. Tom Kenny as, as Mussolini, too. Yes. Well, yes. That, was, that was the reason. It's like, oh, wow. Sunch Barb has gone dark. 
I know you've already seen the film and you're an enthusiast. Yeah, I loved it so much. I'm I'm so happy it's being being received as well as it is. And you're right. It, mm-hmm. You know, any kind of promotional tour with Guillermo is just an absolute delight. Mm-hmm. I saw him on Jimmy Kimmel. And um, mm-hmm. did you make it to the to the exhibit? I did not. Okay. I had some transportation issues, but we're definitely going back. What Drew was referring to is the Museum of Fine Arts in New York. Just this past Sunday, they put together this amazing display of sets and props from the production of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Want to stress, though, I think it's only there through April. So what is the scuttlebutt now? Do, do you, I mean, I, again, I get it. It's L.A., you would think we are surprisingly early in award season, but that's not the case. And judging by these outliers, and there's five and six other major film awards already that, that Guillermo's Pinocchio has already been nominated for. Do you, do, you, do you think this is the one to beat this year? Or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, com- the movie is great, but also nobody spends money like Netflix does. So I this think it's also a very hard... Category to crack, uh, just in, mm-hmm. in terms of like money spent. Although mm-hmm. you know, who knows what will what will happen? Okay, okay. As we just learned with Strange World, um, get in more to the point. Just this past summer with uh, Lightyear, animated films are hard to market, which is why I was kind of intrigued to see what DreamWorks Animation is doing with Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. You got to break through, especially this time of year, with so many big films coming to the box office. So did you see this special edition of Hot Ones that they put together with Puss? Where it's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, with what Sean Evans does. He interviews celebrities who are there to promote films or TV projects. But the gimmick of his show is they sit down and they talk eating chicken wings that are flavored with successively hotter sauces. And, you know, the interview often goes off the rail because the interview subject is now begging for water or milk or whatever it is to cut the hot sauce. And what's kind of funny about the Puss in Boots version is Puss, of course, drinks all the milk up front and then is is dying because he has nothing to cool the wings down. It's so cool that they did that. I agree. I, it was kind of a fun way to make it stand out from the crowd. Likewise, Universal uh, is taking advantage of its theme parks to to try to also make Puss in Boots register with folks. So just last week, the Schwab's Pharmacy at Universal Studios Florida was redone and turned into the Milk Bar, which is now serving Last Wish-inspired ice cream treats like the Kitty Soft Paw Tuxedo Sunday, which is made with cookies and cream ice cream, the Puss in Boots Cafe Con Leche, a, a coffee ice cream treat. And they've also set up a photo op in the kids' zone area, which I, I think we talked about on the last show, is is about to be basically flattened to make way for an entire DreamWorks animation area at that theme park. And, and while we're talking about theme parks, did you see where the DuckTales World Showcase Adventure is finally debuting at Epcot this coming Friday? I saw I saw a little, like, animatronic Webby. Uh, oh, no! Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know they were going to that level. The gimmick of this, folks, is that, well, here's the log line. Join Scrooge, his nephews and friends, as they travel around World Showcase 
on a quest to find the seven plunders of the world and return them to their rightful owners. And if you've played the Phineas and Ferb World Showcase adventure, this is sort of a variation on that. I mean, it's we're back in the same Epcot pavilions, China, France, Germany, Japan, Mexico, Norway, and the United Kingdom. This one, though, I, I guess they broke it up into three little quests, which then create a finale. But it take they think it'll take about 25 to 30 minutes per pavilion to do this thing. That said, the DuckTales reboot went off the air March 15th, 2021. And it's been almost 21 months at this point. And I'm sure people will be happy to have this, especially families with kids, because Epcot is still Epcot. But it, really, an animatronic Webby, where did you see that? It's like she's like a robot or something. I saw it on, on one of the fan sites or, or Twitter or mm. something. But yeah, okay. it looks very uh, screen heavy, this, this new version. Mm, well, that, not entirely a surprise. Yeah. All right. News broke earlier this week about Strange World going to Disney+. Plus. It will be there on December 23rd. And a lot of folks trying to, to make something of, you know, oh, you know, it's a failure. Disney's rushing it to Disney+. Plus, and it's not entirely true. Oh, look, Encanto opened in theaters November 24th of last year and then debuted on Disney Plus on December 24th. On the other hand, Strange World debuted on November 23rd of this year and is debuting on Disney Plus on December 23rd. So it's the exact same length of time. And Encanto was a, a moderate success in theaters, but it really exploded when it went on Disney Plus. Did you see it, by the way? Did you go? What? To Strange World. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I just checked tonight to find a theater I could see it in. And the interesting thing is, as of right now, our local theater only had one show, which was at 6.45 at night. And that was it. That was the one. And I have the uneasy feeling that... This Friday is the end of three weeks, and I, I have the uneasy feeling Encanto is going to fall out of most theaters this Thursday night. Well, I yeah, I mean, I, there's a there's a big boy coming into town, so there is there is a, a a certain James Cameron film. So yes, I may have missed my opportunity here, though. We should also mention that the Encanto at the Hollywood Bowl thing that you went to and enjoyed so much. That's actually popping up on Disney Plus at the tail end of this month on the 28th. The company is kind of hoping that when Strange World shows up on Disney Plus on December 23rd, that something Encanto-like will happen. And yeah, if you look at, back at the, this past weekend's box office, I mean, for example, on Sunday... Strange World was actually number three at the box office. Uh, it was behind Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Violent Night. But if we're talking about Strange World, it's been out in theaters for 20 days now. And it's only sold $30 million worth of tickets. If we look at how Encanto did last year, 20 days into its run at theaters, it has sold $72 million worth of tickets in the North American market. So that is a pretty considerable drop-off when you compare the two box offices. And I think there's a lot of folks at Disney right now who are looking at what happened with Strange World, likewise Lightyear, 
which everyone, I remember, everyone thought could not miss. You know, so they spent $200 million to make that Pixar film. It only pulled in $226 million worldwide. Have you heard anything about how it did on Disney Plus? I have not, no. Okay. All I know is from chatting with folks on the marketing side of Disney, and you know, they also handle Pixar, there is already concern about Elemental, not from a quality of the film. Everyone seems to think it's charming, but it's just like, how do we market this to make it a Monster Zinc inside-out sized hit? Because if we pivot to Avatar The Way of Water... This has been a masterful launch of the latest James Cameron film. I mean, the first one came out 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And Disney somehow did this amazing job of threading the needle and selling the idea that this is a a once-in-a-lifetime cinematic event. You have to come out and see this. And I'm sure you saw the box office projections for opening weekend that just came out where... Worldwide, they're expecting that this thing will do $500 million plus over its opening weekend. I'm struggling to think of a film that has done that before. But on the other hand, you've seen it. Correct, correct, yes. Based on what you were posting on Twitter or or thereabouts, this one definitely delivers the goods, right? Oh, yeah. It is absolutely wonderful. The technology is one thing, but the emotion and the storytelling is just so incredible. He's talking about Avatar 5 through 2008. Without giving anything away, does this film sort of lend itself to the story continuing? Or Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the one thing I, I will be curious is that it, it is sort of a, mm-hmm. not a cliffhanger, but it's not totally mm-hmm. resolved. So the good thing is that theoretically, we don't have to wait very long. The 2024 is comparatively right around the corner so Mm -hmm. i think that he makes a very solid case for sequels and also just him staying in this world for as long as possible because it really does reveal itself to be that rich and that rewarding so yeah okay cool cool how much of flight of passage did you, did you recognize you know it really does tee you up it really does get you ready there are even animals oh. in this one that are in the ride and that were first presented in the ride. So, you know, oh, I think Cameron has been making rumblings in the press about doing mm-hmm. a new ride film or, or doing another ride that takes off mm-hmm. from the way of water. So as long as we can get more stuff in that Avatar land, God mm-hmm. bless him. We need him. We need him. That place is great. I've heard there is an expansion pad back there for a third thing. I think it's actually located to the left as you enter the land. By the way, uh, since we're touching on sci-fi related stuff, uh, trailer for season two of Star Wars The Bad Batch just dropped. Show gets underway on Disney Plus on January 4th. 16 episodes. They're opting to double up on six of these. There will be two episodes aired for the season two debut on January 4th. The mid-season finale will be two episodes back-to-back on February 8th. And then finally, uh, season two will wrap on March 29th with two episodes subtitled The Summit and Plan 99. That that sounds ominous. Truly, who cares about Bad Batch anymore, Jim? (laughs) I want to know. 
Who cares? <laughs> I They're all the same character, show. and it's boring, and I don't know. I don't know what else to say, Jim. Well, okay. It, uh, I see. We're in a mood. Uh, all right. <laughs> on, on the other hand, we did hear just today that Studio Ghibli has announced the Japanese release of Hayao Miyazaki's next movie, which he did retire, then came out of retirement, but... I'm trying not to read too much into this title, you know, to the effect of how do you live? I'm, I'm sure those two aren't connected at all. Trying to figure that out myself, Jim. So, yeah. Okay. So this is going to be released in Japan July 14th of next year. Also, Drew had previously talked up how much you enjoyed Netflix City of Ghosts. Yes, yes. I thought you'd be happy with the news that that show just took home the Children's Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Series. So nice to see that one getting some recognition. And again, folks, obviously, uh, we're recording this on December 13th. We are 12 days out from Christmas. And if you're looking for a special holiday treat, I'm going to suggest you go to hashtag WDFM and then the word vault. Because this is the Walt Disney Family Museum area where this time around they are showcasing the Christmas cards that Disney legend Mary Blair used to create every year and send off to friends and family members. And Mary has an interesting eye for color and composition, so be sure to check these out. And speaking of the holidays, on the second half of today's show, we are going to talk about a book that should be on every animation fan's Christmas list. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We were just talking about Christmas-related stuff and following up on last week's episode where we got talking about the 25 Days of Christmas uh, programming event that's done over at Freeform. And I threw out there that I thought it was interesting that the Santa Claus 2 never seemed to show up in the lineup over there, that you get the original Santa Claus and then you get Santa Claus 3 but not Santa Claus 2. And... Kind listener Ted Witkowski reached out and explained, not exactly sure how it happened, but FX wound up getting the rights to Santa Claus 2. So Freeform, for a number of years, was contractually restricted from being able to show the second of the, the three Santa Claus movies over in Freeform. So mystery solved. Again, I know a lot of you were not lying awake at night, you know, worrying about this. But now it's on Freeform, I think, because I saw, is this the one with when Tim Allen is kind of like a robot or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a wonderful story that the Wall Street Journal did about the labor development. It took years for them to come up with an idea for a second Santa Claus movie. And, and the world looked at it. It's like, really? This? You know, for after years. Uh, by the way, have you managed to see any of the, the Santa Claus limited series yet? Or? No, because somebody told me that it was very MAGA. That it had oh, that dear. strain of Tim Allen's current political views. And I was like, you know what? I like the first one. I don't really think I need to revisit, but did you watch it? Uh, 
I haven't. I haven't. In fact, I was kind of intrigued because the supposedly the actor who played Bernard is back, and that's supposedly the big surprise for. Well, there we go. I just blew the tail end of the show. I will circle around to check it out when I get some free time, which will be February. Okay, we we were talking earlier about holiday gifts. Disney is already beginning the push for the uh, May 2023 of The Little Mermaid, uh, the live action version. So we just saw a brand new aerial designer collection show up at Shop Disney. So that's supposedly the first wave. On the other hand, if you go over to Warner Brothers, they just put out this really great looking collection of crew jackets and statues that key off the 30th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series. And I think we were talking on the last show What's, about what the, is this? What store is this, Jim? Uh, Warner the, the studio store. Well, yeah, the DC Shop. Okay. Uh, yeah, DC Shop uh, releases exclusive Batman the Animated Series 30th anniversary merch and apparel. There's a wonderful Harley Quinn jacket. There's an amazing statue along with prints. I mean, there's some really great looking stuff. So, honestly, if you're going to spend your dough, (laughs) you've already given so much to Disney, go to the DC shop, okay? And we also were talking just a moment ago about a a terrific new book, The Disney Animation Renaissance, Behind the Glass at the Florida Studios by Mary E. Lesher. This came out early this year on November 22nd. The University of Illinois Press put it out. 266 page. I want to say the hardcover is going for 110 but there's the the paperback is just twenty nine ninety five, and it's always weird when I've enjoyed reading a book and then I look to the back and I'm cited. It's like oh oh you you listen to that guy that was a mistake. But on the other hand, what's great is that that wonderful piece you you wrote a while back about the great mouse detective for Oh My Disney. Um, Mary cites that. Uh, Likewise, she cites uh, the history I did of the secret lab years and years and years ago. What I like about the Disney animation renaissance is it tells the truth about uh, the Florida Animation Studio. I mean, for example, uh, the magic of Disney animation exhibit at Disney MGM was not built by WDI. Uh, it was actually outsourced to Bob Rogers and BRC Imagination Arts. In fact, that's one of the reasons why you just don't see animation cells from the Back to Neverland film out there. I mean, you know, Disney didn't do it. It was farmed out to an outside company. And in fact, the only time you, you see cells out there, they're usually badly put together dupes. So the magic of Disney animation starts off with just 65 artists and and animators, you know, among them, Tony Bancroft. And I I think Mark Henn was the only old man. I think he was in his late thirties when they persuaded him, you should go to Florida. You should help these kids get the studio up out of the ground. At full build out, there were 265 folks working at the studio and they produced three features, which we'll get to in a moment. But, you know, when it first opened up, uh, May of 89, you could walk in and visit the fishbowl and look down at all of the artists and animators who at that point, this was really just sort of a tassel on the flag of, of Disney animation. I mean, you know, for, what was it? The first thing they made there was 
Roller Coaster Rabbit that went out to, into theaters in June of 90, along with Dick Tracy. And immediately after that, the folks in Florida are like, well, what else you got us to do? And in this case, it's like, well, we could use your help with finishing Mickey Mouse and the Prince and the Pauper. So that went out that year in November of 1990, attached to The Rescue is Down Under. By the way, Prince and the Pauper was the very last Disney animation project done using cell animation from that point forward. It was all caps. In the same night, Jim, you would see cell animation and then caps when when Rescuers Down Under came on. I mean, what an amazing night at the cinema. I remember that very vividly. Do you remember what they did between Prince and the Popper and the Rescuers Down Under? That they had that weird countdown clock. You yes. Know, to the effect of, hey, you know, <laughs> we're going to give you five minutes to go to the bathroom and buy more snacks. And But there was this really fun countdown. I've been looking for the countdown clock for years. Anyway, uh, if we jump ahead to, to 91, the, the mothership in Burbank farmed out the kill the bee scene from Between the Beast to Florida. And they handed the rough stuff in and, and Florida is like, what's the deal with or, or California? What's the deal with this crap? And it's like, this doesn't look anything like our characters. And it turns out they had the wrong set of model sheets. Anyway, June of 92, they do this kind of weird experimental thing. Uh, I want to say it's Barry Cook that directs it, but have you ever seen this off uh, off his rocker, the, the thing about the kid who's playing a video game and his old rocking horse is trying to get his attention? This sounds really familiar. It went out to theaters in front of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, but then just kind of disappeared. It was Disney experimenting with CG and trying to figure out what can we do with this. In fact, the follow-up to that because they still hadn't decided what Florida was going to be yet. In late 1992, Florida actually began working on the Pines of Rome scene for Fantasia 2000, which eight years prior to this thing actually making it out into theaters, here's Florida working on the Flying Whales scene, which I thought was fascinating. But in 1993, they get their big break. They get the just can't wait to be king scene for the Lion King. That turns out tremendously well, thanks largely to Chris Sanders. And so in the same window of time, Peter Schneider, the then head of uh, feature animation, is like, okay, let's find, they do good work down in Florida. Let's find these guys a standalone movie that they can produce there. And initial development on the story for what at that time was called China Doll and then The Legend of Fa Mulan begins. But it takes till 96, till finally the folks in California are like, yeah, you can make a film on your own. But they then turn around and give them a locked-in uh, release date of, of the summer of 98. And they deliver the goods that arrives in theaters on June 5th, 1998. And what a lot of people don't remember is there had been a real fall off in the box office for Disney animated features in the three years previous. I mean, Lion King had, had made giant money, but then almost like a set of stairs, you could watch the box office fall off for Pocahontas. Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then Hercules, but Mulan was the first one to turn this trend around, which you'd think would be, oh, okay, these guys know what they're doing. Let's give them an animated feature to do. Not the case. While 
they dithered in California, uh, trying to figure out, well, what does Florida do next? They did a couple of shorts. In fact, you can go on uh, YouTube right now and catch How to Haunt a House. This was directed by Aaron Blaze. It was animated by the folks in Florida. Didn't run in theaters, and it actually ran on the Mickey Mouse Works television series. But that came out in October of 99. And then the very next year, we got a theatrical, well, intended for theatrical release, uh, John Henry, which was directed by Mark, by Mark Henn. But there's some wonderful stories in this book about this is when the first aspects of political correctness start to dog the Disney animation. For example, there was a character in this part uh, in this feature called Shadow Man. And he was the one who ran the steam engine that was competing with, with John Henry. And, uh, and the thing is with this character, who's always supposed to be in shadow. And the only way you could see him is by the light of his cigar. But midway through production, somebody sort of raised their hands. It's like, well, smoking is a bad thing. Does he have to, does he have to smoke? And it's like, well, he's the shadow man. He's going to be in the dark if we don't, you're completely in the dark if we don't give him a cigar. And it, but he still got cut from the film. Jumping ahead now, by June of 2002, they finally figured out what Florida should be doing. We got the wonderful Lilo and Stitch. And then some 18 months later, we got Brother Bear, uh, which arrives in theaters in November of 2003. That's where all of the problems that are happening in California sort of manifest themselves in Florida. There were a lot of people second-guessing what should be done with this movie. I mean, for example, Lion King apes the storyline of Hamlet. So for a time, the notes that were coming from California to Florida were to the effect of, hey, that brother bear thing, what would you think of modeling the story of that movie on Macbeth? Just, hey, you know, Hamlet, you know, Lion King worked out. And there was this weird period where Coda had Coda had a father, then Coda had one brother, then Coda had two brothers, then Coda had no brothers. But that movie eventually makes it out into theaters in November of 2003, and they're already working on the film that's supposed to follow that, which, uh, how many different titles did this one have, Drew? There was Angel and Her No Good Sister, and my peoples, and when they shut down production, it was called A Few Good Ghosts. But that was going to be a hybrid film. That was going to be CG folk art characters that came to life and hand drawn uh, human figures, you know, sort of carrying the story. And not four months later, they announced on January 12, 2004, that. Disney would be closing its satellite studio in, in Florida. In fact, it closed all of its studios around the world except the one in California, and it was sort of the come-to-Jesus moment. Let's get all of our best animators and artists under one roof and see if we can figure out how we're going to fix feature animation. And the fix actually happened two years later when Disney bought Pixar and put John Lasseter in charge. But it's worth noting that the Florida studio created stuff that Disney definitely exploited. I mean, for example, there were two Stitch sequels. There was Stitch the movie, which came out in August uh, 2003, and then Stitch has a glitch, 
in August of 2005. And then Mulan uh, had a sequel, which came out in February of 2005. And uh, even Brother Bear got a sequel in August of 2006. So the live-action Lilo and Stitch is still in development. I haven't heard anything about them turning the key on production. It's actually in production right now. Is it really? Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's news or if I should have said that or not, but uh, well, there, there oh, it oh is. Dear. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I, I hope they're away from, from the erupting volcano. But anyway, again, if you're looking for something to get the animation fan on your Christmas list this year, uh, Mary Lesher's The Disney Animation Renaissance is a, is a great look beyond the glass at Florida Studios. And speaking of gifts, now, Drew, we're going to talk about the cake, which you and Charles Hood shared pictures. Of. Can, you, can you explain the significance of the cake? Well, the cake, is, it's such a Hollywood thing, but everybody mm-hmm. knows yep. about it. I mean, you knew about it, right? You know, When I posted that picture, you knew what it was, right? It was only when I, I you know, the, the lovely photo of, of the package that's, you know, from Tom Cruise is like, oh! You know, and it's little wire reindeer on it. That's like, oh my God, Drew made the list. So yes, please explain what Tom Cruise is famous for sending out as his holiday gift for friends and and associates or in the industry. Well, he sends out this beautiful coconut cake from a little bakery in Sherman Oaks. It is the mm-hmm. richest cake you have ever tasted. It's so good. I don't even like coconut, and I love this cake. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> Yeah, to be on the list is a big deal. And, you know, there are, there are various sizes of cake, Jim. So I, I thought that we were, if we made the list, we mm-hmm. maybe would have been on the, you know, the the cupcake-sized cake. <laughs> but, no, this is a big old beauty, let me tell you. Oh, and uh, it was a well, huge thrill to get. A, a great surprise, for sure. You and Charles have done great work. With the Light the Views podcast, and I'm sure Mr. Cruz himself has to be a fan at, at this point, given what a wonderful job you guys have done covering the Mission Impossible movies. And, and, and speaking of which, folks, that's not the only reason you should be listening to Light the Views. I mean, you know, it not only uh, kind of touches base on, on those films, it also talks about the John Wick series, uh, likewise Top Gun, and, uh, and, and its sequel, Top Gun Maverick. Speaking of Light the Fuse, we are coming up on our year-end shows. Are we doing anything special? Or Well, we're actually, right now, what we're doing is uh, Jack Reacher, because it's the 10th anniversary of the first Jack Reacher oh. film. So that is okay. what we are doing. Um, we've got three episodes. We talked to Christopher McQuarrie all about it. It's really mm. fascinating. And if you like that movie, it's a real thrill. So... Check it oh, out. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Definitely check it out. We also have uh, some other podcasts here at Jim Hill Media you might want to check out. We got Disney Dish that I do with Lentesto. We have uh, Looking at Lucasfilm uh, with Brian Gone. In fact, a brand new episode of that just went up. I will be recording a brand new uh, Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. But I, I tell you what, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but also light the fuse, that would be very helpful. I, I think I just saw Mr. Testa today 
officially leave Twitter. Like, I, did you see the message he posted? You know, the Doug, Douglas Adam quote, quote. Oh yes. Yeah. Goodbye and thanks for all the fish. Uh, you're still hanging in there, right? Or at Twitter? I'm still here, Jim. Where where, where am I gonna go? You know what I mean? Come on. All right. Well, where can folks find you though on social media? Uh, at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And that's gonna do it for now. Are we we up to anything interesting over the next couple of days, or are we just face down in the ditch, turning out stories for the rap? Yeah, pretty much just trying to get through the end of the year stuff and trying not to die. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all admirable goals. Okay. Yes. Well, anyway, all right. Thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back soon.